subject for the evening talk is changes of consciousness. Once uh, a year I go to give some teachings in India and I can recall in the 1970s, early 1980s, when I was there, that it was quite, as it were, common currency of that time to kind of want to mix together a combination of spirituality, of meditation, Eastern philosophy, uh, drugs, the experience of India, and whatever else could be put into the pot to boil. And there was quite, often would be quite a lot of uh, chai shop conversations uh, about altered states of consciousness, the impact and the influence of this drug and that drug, and the way meditation worked, and was it quicker, deeper, better, worse, etc., etc. And it was all part of the kind of um, mental activity taking place. And I think also rather a lot of confusion in the attempt to mix the two together in the name of spirituality, in the name of Eastern philosophy and religion. And one of the things which I've noticed in the years of going there, that there and elsewhere, there has been quite some significant degree of change in outlook. And that the way that that change in outlook has uh, shown itself is the sense of really what is what. And Rarely, still going to uh, India annually, uh, rarely do I hear any reference to drugs. And there are still the fleet of people from the Western Paradise who pour into India for that particular scene. But it's as though the spiritual movement, by and large, has freed itself from that and looks at spiritual experiences at the alteration the changes of, cons of consciousness in a fresh and different way and of course particularly with the, the drug uh, world whatever form that it might take there's too a certain uh, air of uh, unpredictableness shall we say with regard to it and people have said over uh, the years uh, some and have given some comparison to their experiences uh, in meditation or spontaneous experiences which have occurred in comparison with uh, other experiences of uh, another lifetime, drug lifetime. <coughs> and I think in listening, as I say, to a whole range of voices uh, over, over the years, I think the work of meditation is something quite distinct. 
and the distinction that it is that it takes place in a context. It takes place in support of and in agreement with a whole other range of awarenesses. And therefore it's not something in isolation. Therefore it's given consideration in relationship to ethical foundations. It's in consideration to uh, care and respect for the nature. It's in consideration with a life of uh, letting go. It's in consideration with the penetration of consciousness for the insights and understanding which end suffering. And so when giving care and attention to meditation, the process of it, its relative place does have to be seen in context, in relationship to other things of life, and not isolated from it. When we look at ourselves and we stop much of the outer activity, then we are rather faced with some of our very raw and bare experiences. These raw and bare experiences show themselves, of course, in painful forms as well as pleasant forms. One of the mo most distinct of the painful forms, of course, is such that it circulates in and through and around fear. The character of fear, the experience of fear in life. And unfortunately, at times, when there is a state of fear, we sometimes bring in a rationalization with our fears that the fear is rational, it is reasonable, that it is something that numerous other people uh, experience in life. And when we imagine that way, we give support to its continuity and we forget the possibility of its dissolution. We forget the possibility of its dissolution. So that means that with the process of meditation, of awareness and looking into life, one of its concerns is a life without fear. And in that respect, the world of drugs never, to my knowledge, in 20 years, more now, more than 20 years of involvement in this, to my knowledge, nobody ever got remotely close to liberation from fear through drugs. And there lies the distinction. So, there's the experience we have of fear. Sometimes, as I say, we give support to it. That support that we give to it, when we say to ourselves or say to each other, I am afraid that I'm afraid it will work out like this. I'm afraid that the consequences will be like this. I am afraid that this will happen. 
And that movement inside of a self of I am afraid of relies for its belief and its construction. We have to believe in the memory, we need to believe in the present, and we need, remarkably, a lot of faith and trust that our prediction will come true. Even in this extraordinary thing of fear, we somehow, we trust the fear. We have faith in our fears. And this faith, this blindness, in that is such that we give support to each other by its use and by its repetition. So it's not unusual for people who are concerned with activities of, which are useful and beneficial in this world for oneself or others, do find at times that the projection it comes is that in some future time it will get worse. The situation will deteriorate. It will fall apart. This will happen, that will happen. And that voice that speaks in this way and confirms is a fearful voice the voice of a person who is afraid. And then we need the memory to come in to give support to that. Why do we think like this? Why do we believe this? And we say, well, because that's what happened in the past. I saw it, with, I, saw, I experienced this in the past. It occurred last week, last month, last year. It occurred several times. So, of course, it's going to happen again. It's bound to happen again. And so we make this transference of past to present to future. And fear is the link. One of the uncanny things about fear is the way that it gains a kind of momentum, a kind of continuity which we affirm and identify with. And one of the ways that that um, shows itself is that the movement of thinking and speaking can be fearful without the sensation of fear. One is actually habitualized by fear and we're not actually feeling it. The mind has got into a habit of responding, dealing, reacting to life, doesn't know that it's got a background of fear. Sometimes, for example, one says, the thought arises, oh, um, I can't go outside because it's dark is afraid of the dark. There are places, of course, obviously, where it's uh, wise, where it's uh, intelligent not to go out on the streets at night. Sometimes that old, the feeling or the experience or the recollection of fear inhibits, but one doesn't feel the sensation of it, it's just a thought, oh, I can't go outside. Sometimes in the night one wakes up feeling extraordinarily alert and awake. And then the thought arises, if 
I get up now, despite being awake, and I'm here to be awake, but uh, now I'm awake, I don't want to be awake, because it's not the right time. I'm sure the Buddha wasn't awakened in the middle of the night, etc. And <coughs> this thought arises, and the resistance is because one is afraid that if I start now, I'll be tired later on, I won't be fit for anything later on in the day. So there's, there's consciousness, there's some change of consciousness, there's some project, projection into the future, and there is fear. And we live in this shadow. We live under its influence, with or without the sensation of fear. When this movement is uh, taking place with us, as I say, sometimes we rationalize it, we give support to it. And I'm reminded of one of the, the teachers who rather wisely commented when the teacher was emphasizing quite rightly the potential the possibility to be free from fear, totally, to be live a life with, without fear. The person in the uh, auditorium where this speaker was speaking, person from the upper balcony, shouted down to the, the teacher, but it's fear which stops me from jumping over this balcony. And the speaker, the, the teacher, shouted out, that isn't fear, that's intelligence. And sometimes we, we get confused between the two. Can we live, can we explore situation to situation where with wisdom and clarity and to be able to distinguish what is the movement of fear? What way does that show itself? And I think all too often, many times in our life where there is a loss of uh, integrity, where there is compromise, where there is trying to be accepted by others, where we are holding back from making a decision, Many of those underlying influences which are taking place have the holding power of fear with it. And some of the hard questioning that you and I and others need to ask ourselves, am I going to live with fear? What is possibility is there to break out of this shell called fear. One of the extraordinary things with it, because it depends so much on imagination, so much on speculation, and on the push of feelings and emotions, 
Sometimes there are circumstances in our life where there can be fear at work that the whole body, the physical body and the emotional life is really being pounded with fear over a situation. And yet, there is enough awareness and enough clarity in the face of fear that the, that the action comes from the awareness, it comes from the clarity. It comes from the seeing regardless of what the actual physical, emotional sensation is saying. To give a rather vivid, rather graphic example of this, just uh, a week or two uh, ago, in a newspaper in England, there was an account of a young man who, with his father-in-law, I believe, was in a small two-seater aircraft. And it was this young man, he was in his early 20s, his first time uh, in, a, in a plane. And while they were flying over southern part of uh, Wales, near Cardiff, the father-in-law had a heart attack in the plane, this two-seater, and died. So there's this plane flying along, pilotless. One can hardly imagine what the emotional impact, what the fear was of that young man on his first flight. Somehow or other, he managed to move with all the shock of, remember, father-in-law just uh, had a utterly unexpected heart attack, died, man in his uh, late 40s. That he managed to see where the Mayday signal was. And a pilot on another light aircraft flying nearby picked up the signal. And the pilot was a uh, trainer and was teaching somebody else. Flew alongside this pilotless aircraft. And the young man said, what do I do? What do I do? And with the instructions, this young man sat there and the uh, pilot in the next airplane began to give him the instructions how to get that plane out of the sky and back down onto the runway. And as they were, as they were approaching the runway and giving him the instructions of each step what he had to do, the pilot said to this uh, young man, he said, as soon as you touch, the wheels touch the runway, put on the brakes. And the young man said, what are the brakes? Where are the brakes on a plane? And through all of, through, right through all of this, somehow or other, he got the plane down without the brakes, and when the plane touched, the pilot said to him, switch off the engine. And he just 
cruised in to a halt. The young man said to the pilot, thank you, you can imagine the thank you, <laughs> thank you very much. And the pilot, looking down at the plane, just landed, he said, all in a day's work. <laughs> so see, sometimes there are situations where the power of fear at a critical junction can be there. And yet, something else, some awareness, some presence can be taking place enough to keep not just the plane steady, obviously, but the key to keeping the plane steady, which was keeping the mind steady in the face of life and death. So sometimes, as I say, there's these remarkable resources. Sometimes we hardly know we have them. Which can emerge, which transcends the limiting potency of fear that young man had identified with that fear, had been gripped in that fear, he couldn't have moved, been paralyzed by it. So sometimes, as I say, we, we give far too much authority to fear. We make too much of it. And we fail to recognize the very fact that we can be aware of it itself is the intimation of a saving grace. To know a fear as a fear. Sometimes with fears that occur, we ask, we sometimes ask each other. We ask ourselves, we think about ourselves. Then we say, what's one's greatest fear? What is it that one fears? And what comes to mind may be a, a, a specific the dark, uh, an insect, uh, um, an animal, uh, uh, a sickness, an accident, the loss of a loved one. Many, many things can be the, the trigger for fear. We say, this is my greatest fear, this is the biggest fear that I have. And, there, and we can name one or several of these. Somewhere in the mode of experiencing of fear, somewhere there has to be the kind of attention which says, let me feel this sensation. Let me experience the touch of this sensation. Let me see if it is as bad and as difficult as I imagine. As I imagine. And there are a number of situations from day to day where we have the opportunity and in spite of whatever the sensations are that are being released in our feelings and in our bodily life, you have the, the opportunity to say, let me see if I can stay 
steady with this one. Whatever form it might take. Let me see if I can be on friends with it. Let me see if I can allow myself just to pass through. And sometimes what we notice with that is that certain situations may arise in our life. The fear sparks itself in consciousness, sometimes quite unexpectedly. And with fear, the very signal of fear is the wish to stay back from the wish to pull back from. When he's walking down the, the road, the dog came to out of, comes out of the pathway, it starts barking, and one has got one thought in mind, it's retreat, and it's a different kind of retreat to this one. <laughs> and sometimes we are willing to walk backwards, breathing in and out, waiting for the opportunity to turn round and run for our life. And are we going to live our life in retreat? Live our life afraid to take the step forward. Live our life one step at a time in which tomorrow and what comes is no concern of ours. It's a concern of nature. No concern of ours tomorrow and what comes. And so sometimes, as I say, we, we're engaged in an activity. We reached the point where there's some expression of this fear and if there's a signal of a genuine change of consciousness then that fear will not inhibit the action. We'll step across the line. We won't allow the dog to rule our existence. and have faith in ourselves. And even in situations where one is bitten by the circumstances, where one thinks afterwards, I should have run. Dog bit my backside. Should have, should have fled. Even when that thought arises, I was still say, walk without fear. I still say, even if the consequence and the effect is not as one would have liked it to be, let's not use that effect to give further subscription to fear in the future that the next time we walk and the next time the dog appears, say, oh God, the last time I got bit by a dog, this time I might get mauled to death. Let's not use the past to support fear for the present. Then we are speaking of a change of consciousness. The drug world never touched this. Here we're concerned with 
liberation of the human being from fear. The resource that we have, it's a small one, it's a very small one, it's called awareness, but it's enough. So the situations, it's remarkable in life how we, we often, we often say to us, we often say to ourselves or to others, well, what's happened to passion in life? Buddha speaks a great deal of passion. Lovely term he uses, Dharma Chandra. Dharma, teachings of exploration, teachings of awareness, of investigation, and passion is Chandra. means passion, means zeal, uh, unabashed enthusiasm. This is this is Chandra. And sometimes we say, where, 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 where is the passion? Where is it? What's happened to it? Just some time ago, to give a small uh, uh, illustration of what I, what I mean uh, in the irony of certain situations, I went to see this film about a year ago. I've actually seen it twice now. Some of you will have seen it. I think the whole Western Paradise, so it's called Dances with Wolves. And two things in this film which I, appreci I, which I uh, appreciated. Um, one, of course, the obvious one of this, uh, the story of the, the man uh, himself going across the line, you might say, going a little bit further into the unknown than others would be prepared to go. Reaching the outpost and going a little bit further, that kind of spirit of that. And the other was not only the meeting of, of a, a culture and the response to it, just as a number of us have been to India and the East to go there as seekers, to go there as lear to learn, to go there to discover, not to tell but also that meeting which showed the fashion of life of that culture, Native American Indian culture, and the wonder and the beauty of it, and the connection with the earth and the, and the air and the land and with, with each other. Something very touching about it. And after the, seeing this film, I wrote in my own uh, small way, a poem, which I called Dances with, with Wolves. And the gist of the poem was, it was a kind of, in a way, regret at the loss of passion, was that there we are, what's our situation today? We go to the cinema to see a life of celebration, to see a life of passion, while we sit there with our Pepsi Cola and our popcorn. That's what we've come down to. That is tragic. We are a tragic species. And so I say, what is it that inhibits the, the flow, the risk, the crossing of the line, the, the going further from the known into the unknown? What is it that stops it? It is fear. Fear does that. Nothing else does it. Nothing else has a hold to keep us tight, gripped, small, 
and satisfied on Pepsi, Cola and popcorn except fear. And we've paid a heavy price for this fearful existence, for this endless pursuit of security rather than the wisdom and the passion for risk-taking, for insecurity, for discovery. And we don't have to adopt a, what should we call it, a Kevin Costner lifestyle for a few hours. It's not a question of adventure going from point A to point B in terms of uh, time and space, though that might be for some people something about what we bring, what awareness we bring to our daily life. Something about how we explore things, about the, the risks for passion, about what that means in an ethical and caring and challenging way. And I think Situations like this, the morning, the noon, and the night, actually are real reminders to us of something much more deep in life than the pursuit of security and the living in the ring of fear. Something which is rather joyful and celebratory. and we need our energies and vitalities for that. We need uh, every drop of awareness that we can bring to that. And we need some firm and clear decision-making with ourselves. I am not going to live in fear. May all beings see into life May all beings see into the nature of things. May all beings dance with wolves. Let's have a couple of quiet minutes together, shall we please? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org.
donate.